right, you ready to get going? Yep. Pull my boob into my bra in the right spot. Oh my god, I was I didn't get a chance last week or the week before. I was going to do one of those like typo like the word pictures for us for mm. and it'd be like bury her as she lies with her tits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With her tits pointing in two different directions. directions. That's yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that should be my epitaph. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise, and I'm your other host, Andy. And welcome to the show. Woo-hoo. It's the dirty episode. Yes. Episode 69. 69! So I don't know if you have a sex... I don't. Okay. Because I still have the Victorian story locked and loaded. Yeah, I know. But I also prepared another story for this week. a sweater. Yeah, I saw your backless shirt while we were downstairs, and I was like, she's going to regret the shit out of that in about (laughs) five minutes. I know. It was what I could grab this morning. In this mess, I'm sure we could find you a sweater. That is true, because we this are is, in a walk-in closet. This is an actual slanket, if you would like to purchase in that. So when you snap, I will try to find you something that is not um, half sweater, half fur. <laughs> which is where the problem's going to be. Because <laughs> along with the sweater, there's a lot of fur. <laughs> yes, like... <laughs> I think someone sleeps there, it looks like. Uh, it'd be a fair assumption. Yeah. Right by the window. <laughs> yeah. Watch all the chonky squirrels. Yeah. So when you are ready for a sweater, you let me know. I will. <laughs> uh, I have a funny Lizzo story for you. Okay. <laughs> so uh, after we were talking, like, the last time we recorded, so when I was getting ready for Dan's Christmas party, yeah. so, like, he'll get ready and he'll listen to, like, you know punk and like his right. sort of music and that's usually what I listen to as well but when I'm getting ready for something like that I want right. like more upbeat dancey music right? Fair. So I was listening to what he loves to call I feel like I'm back in the club in the 2000s Okay yeah. <laughs> so cause that's like you know it's Rihanna it's stuff like that. Yeah. So I was like okay I'll check out Lizzo. Uh huh. So I listened to probably two or three minutes of it and I was like yeah it's not really for me so I went on and I put on my like girls rule with S&M and right. like you know I'm putting my makeup on and getting my groove on and then the next day we go to get into the truck uh-huh. and our truck automatically will bring up something usually like it's really weird um, even if so- uh, if, like um, Spotify isn't open right? Uh, more on Dan's phone because I have like the cellular turned off on it but it'll bring it up on his. And it started playing Lizzo. Like, not even the song I was listening to. Right. It just, the and, universe knew you needed some Lizzo. And I thought it was my phone. So okay. I was like, okay. I was like, oh, it's not. I was trying to play a, um, like, a podcast. And then we discovered it was his phone. And we couldn't get it to turn off. This happened four times in a row. The Every time we got power. out and out into the car, they would play a different Lizzo song. The power of Lizzo is just everywhere. Apparently. And I'm like, <laughs> definitely not a fan now. It's like, and it would be blaring. And I'm like, my God. Okay. How, how could you still not be a fan? What were you listening to, though? I don't know. It was just, we were just like, what is this? It's like, what is this? Why is, it's like, what is Lizzo? And I'm like, I don't know. I listened to her for like three minutes. 
as I started getting ready. Oh, um, man. Yeah, it was just like the gods were like, you don't know who she is. Here she is. And the fact that you are not in love with her is worrying well, to me. I enjoy what she stands for. Okay. Her music. Some of the songs I've listened to once or twice. So I was like, okay, I've heard them. I'm good. Yeah. But other ones, like I have Juice, uh, Truth Hurts, and that other one, How You Feeling, like in constant loop on my phone in my car now. It's just, if I ever get stopped by the cops, they're just going to hear that blaring <laughs> as they pull up. <laughs> like what happened with Adele that one time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was really overdramatic that day. <laughs> Just blaring Adele as I'm doing like 120 down the backcountry roads. I'm like, I don't care. Adele speaks for my soul now. <laughs> this is where I am. So, yeah. But yeah, I thought you would enjoy the uh, universe being like, and here is every Lizzo song. We're going to blast it on 12. We're going to make sure you can't turn it off because... Usually, like, if you open Spotify and then close it again, it'll stop. Yeah. It wouldn't. So next up, I'm putting out into the universe for you, Billie Eilish. Needs I, to haunt you. I own her seat. Oh, okay, good. Her albums, yeah. Okay, I did not I, know I, you I had... purchased them on... Okay. <laughs> I don't just like them to listen to us. I actually purchased them Kev. on Apple, and they're downloaded on my phone. As did I, and as they are on mine, yeah. too. That's the other, like, super dramatic one that I'll listen yeah. to. Spagat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we are recording a lot of episodes today. Yes, we we're are trying to get banking a ton of stuff for the holiday season. And I'm moving. <laughs> and you're moving. So let's jump on into it, get rolling on episode one for the day. And I think I went first last week, so you go first this week and tell me a story. Yes, did you just paint one fingernail? No, I painted all five, but I ripped the polish off of eight of them so far. <laughs> That's how you can tell my manicures are coming up. Because I'm like slowly losing nails as it goes. <laughs> so now I have a ring finger and a thumb and that's about it. It's very, I don't know, hip. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, I have no nails. Mine are all breaking. Uh, which is what you can tell I'm stressed. Um, so I wasn't going to do another Christmas story because I did the sort of like the toys last week. And I'm doing a Christmas story for Christmas. But two things hit the news. That Peloton ad backlash happened. <laughs> and Walmart was selling those snowmen doing Coke sweaters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the, the picture of the snowman. Or the Santa uh, ugly sweater. And I've seen around the edges of the Peloton ad. I haven't seen all of it. At first I thought it was like a serious parody slash movie coming out because that's the first context I saw for it. So you're going to fill me in on all of it. Uh, so I thought this can't be the worst thing that was created as a Christmas ad. Okay. We're not wrong. So I'm going to rant a little bit about the uh, Peloton outrage. I'm going to call it fake Peloton outrage okay. because like it's stupid. Uh, and I'm all up for being outraged at things that warrant it like R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. The Cats movie. Mm-hmm. Short prison terms for convic- convicted rapists. Yeah. Hell yes, let's be outraged. Mm-hmm. But this ad, people need to calm the fuck down. <laughs> no, this is not a start of a Black Mirror episode. It's not a dystopian future. Right. It's the stupidest bit of outrage I've seen in a while. <laughs> and like, let's face it, everybody's outraged about everything. Like, yeah, outrage culture now is getting to the point of... You need to dial it back, or in, it's sort of like the boy crawled, cried wolf. Nothing. If you're at an 11 all the time, yeah. nothing is truly an 11. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you have said you haven't seen it. For those who haven't, uh, Peloton is a very expensive exercise bike. 
So I guess people are also upset over the classes nature of the Peloton. Okay. It's like the bike sells for $2,250. That's a very expensive clothes holder. <laughs> but also, you can't hate the player. If people are willing to spend that, yeah, why the wouldn't game. they charge it? Like, yeah. fuck off people. <laughs> and they also have a monthly subscription with $39 a month to get access to a vast variety of libraries of work and live workouts. So you can connect with live instructors teaching live classes all over okay. um, the United States. So you can join in those classes. You can see other people. You can see other people. Is this a thing? It's like a thing, People apparently. spend do money yeah. on this? Yeah, apparently. Wow. White people, I'm assuming, for the most part. Uh, yeah. But uh, that is a lot of money and a lot of wasted time. <laughs> well, I mean, for some, like, uh, the, one of the articles I was reading, the, the person has one. She bought it used, so she bought it for, like, a fraction of the price. And she, like, she likes to work out, but she's a, you know, journalist at, I think, a CNN, m- mom of young kids, just doesn't have enough time, so her husband bought it for her. They bought it used, and she, you know, it's like, it's her half hour, hour a day that it's just her, like, after she had her baby. Right. It was, like, her half hour, she went down, her husband wouldn't bug her. It was sort of, like, her sanity. She's like, it doesn't really have anything to do with weight loss for her. It's more, like, mental health. It's her time to, yeah. like, do something that she feels good about when she, like, accomplishes it. All right, I'll give it to her. Um, so the ad revolves around a wife getting a bike as a Christmas present from her husband. Right. And then she makes a video diary of her using the bike with the end of the video, of end of the ad, showing him this video and saying thank you because she wasn't surprised. She was surprised how much it changed her. Okay. So cheesy, yes. Uh, an evil symbol of the patriarchy? Not really. Right. What I do, the visual I do have is the one that looks like she's a hostage victim. Like, also, wide-eyed crazy look on her face. Like, the poor actress talks about that, and she's like, because she's gotten a lot of hate. Oh, well, that's not fair. But, like, we she's like, I think that's just my face was the last comment I saw. She's like, because, she, like, the whole thing is she's supposed to be, like, a little nervous about starting this. Because it's pretty intense. Like, from what I've seen on their other ads okay. of their workouts are pretty intense. Like, you and I would definitely die. Right. Um... I don't have a Peloton. I do have an exercise bike. Have you ever seen it? No. Yeah, it's because it's, like, buried in the back of the basement. <laughs> so, yeah, we would die. <laughs> so she's, like, a little nervous about starting it. Like, excited, but nervous because, like, you know, it's a new thing. And, I mean, all of us. When you start something new, yeah. new job, new exercise routine for those people who are inclined I to do things. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so some of the outrage comes because this actress playing the wife seems skinny and already fit. And for some reason, that outrages people that a husband might buy her a bike if she's already fit and skinny, so she doesn't need it. Skinny and fit are two very different things. Yes, exactly. But also, she might just like working out. I think there's people out there who do that. Like, we right. used to work with a couple of people who yeah. liked to work out. I don't understand it personally. Um, but there are people, so maybe she just likes to work out and she thought hey you know a spin maybe she can't because they have young kids in this ad i'm projecting a lot onto her just like a lot of other people are projecting under her <laughs> um so yes if dan turned around and got me a peloton bike for christmas i'd be like one what the fuck are you doing spending two thousand dollars on a bike because we broke two yeah. thanks for calling me fat asshole but i also know <laughs> i'm also talking about trying to lose some weight because i am getting into the point where i really need to lose some weight <laughs> This lady is fit, so I think it's safe to assume that she got some enjoyment out of working out. 
She seems skinny. She seems fit. Maybe she wanted one. No, <laughs> wait. It's a fucking commercial, people. These are not real people. This is true. Uh, some people, as I said, liked working out. We are not Mm-mm. those people. Nope. In the commercial, she documents her first ride. She ner- says she's nervous but excited. That got, like you said, people's panties in a twist, saying that she looks... That's a look of fear, not nervousness. And since she looks afraid, she must be an abused wife. Well, that's a very big leap to make, but okay. I think even Stretch Armstrong would call that a stretch too far. (laughs) I'm sure that even fit people question their life choices when they start a new program, especially one as intense as these programs. Like, yeah, she does look a little scared. I think it's also her, like, maybe overacting. That was probably the cut they decided to go with. Can you imagine what the other ones look like? Yeah. Um, as she said in a comment that I think that's just my face. (laughs) Poor girl. (laughs) Poor girl. And I said, I think the outrage is stupid. I wish people would channel this, like this energy into more useful ways and stop projecting their own belief systems onto something to cause bogus outrage. Oh, and stop like sending the actors, the guy and the girl messages. Yeah. That's just dumb. These people were happy to get a paying gig and now all of a sudden it is going to turn their, like... She's probably not going to get a whole lot of acting gigs because she's now the Peloton wife. Like, True. You people are ruining her career. <laughs> Stop it. John Ronson did a good book a couple years ago about public shaming and how, like, the 24-hour Twitter yes. cycle does this to people. Some of them deserve it. Maybe not, like, long-term, but, like, short-term. This woman does not deserve it no. at all. Um, I so. wonder if SAG has developed, like, a... A social safety net for their CASAG, the union yeah. of actors. Like, do they have like a category for you can like file a claim for like I'm being harassed online because of a an acting choice that I did and get like some sort of pay because you're never gonna get a job again. I know. I don't know. <laughs> I hope so because like this is horrible. The poor actor and so, actresses. Uh, half point. Good on that because your people need it apparently. <laughs> God, stop. These people are actors. This isn't real life. She's not being abused. God. She's probably not even using the goddamn thing to start off with. <laughs> she can't afford it. She's an actress. <laughs> Taking Peloton commercials. <laughs> they probably offered to pay her in one. <laughs> it was more than she was going to make in cash. <laughs> like, the ridiculousness of this. Like, just the sheer ridiculousness of this. When I actually looked up the ad and I looked up all the outrage and I read the CNN, like the fake outrage. The CNN lady was like, what the sweet fuck am I reading? <laughs> uh, without saying that, because she's like... CNN you know, lady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's more classy than I am. So I'll say, what the fuck am I reading, people? So, now, can you name a good Christmas advertising campaign? That Iconic. Uh, the Gillette one. The Gillette razor? Or was it the toothbrush? Oh, I think it was a razor. From the 80s, where it's like Santa, it's like, it is the sleigh. <gasps> Oh, yes, I remember that one. And then there's the Coca-Cola ads, both the Santa and the Polar Bear. I think those are the two that, like, stick out to you. And the M&M's. I was going to say, M&M's, who first met Santa. Do you know how long ago that that commercial first started? It's been updated a few times, I think, but... I remember hearing a date a couple years ago that blew my hair back. So I'm going to say at least the 2000s, early 2000s. 1996. God damn, we're old. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in Canada, the TELUS ads, the TELUS holiday ads with usually an animal, oh, yeah, yeah. which is how I ended up with a bunny instead of a chinchilla. Okay. 
because uh, I really love those ads. And then when Dan went to buy me a chinchilla, the guy, the pet store was like, actually, rabbits are much easier to take care of. Yeah. I guess he was like debating, debating between the two. And the Hershey Kiss Christmas Bells. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you know how long that's been running? That's forever. I would say the 80s on that one. 1989. <sighs> yeah. And like, I'd be shocked if they spent any money updating that. Because like, really, what bit, do you yeah. need to do? <laughs> Making it slightly look less 80s? Like maybe like the... But even there, it's just it's a white background with their it's product. <laughs> like The product hasn't changed. <laughs> the taste of it has changed, however. It's not as, as good. Yeah. Um, I don't find it as good as tasting. And the Budweiser's Clydesdales mm-hmm. actually launched as a Christmas campaign. Okay. Uh, but the grandmother of all Christmas campaigns is Coca-Cola, which I think I talked about last year. But part of Santa's iconic look that we think of today was thanks to uh, Coke and the advertising company. And who can forget the polar bear family watching the Northern Lights, drinking classic Coke, or the holidays com- are coming, which is the truck commercials where the trucks oh, are all lit yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And this year they're aiming higher with their 2019 campaign. And they are trying to remind people that more unite us than divide us. Was it Pepsi did something similar, or was it them? Is this a revival of an old ad? Ah, Pepsi, they tried to do something poorly with <laughs> Jenner, with one of the Jenner children. No, 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 there was no. another There was another Christmas ad. I, I remember around a theme of, like, multiculturalism. And probably was Coke, because I don't remember Christmas. Pepsi having too many Christmas ads. They can't win. Well, when you're the better flavor, you don't need to put that much money into ads. They are the better flavor. We're starting a lot of fires with that statement. That's true. (laughs) I don't care. Come at me, people. Yeah. No, I will die on the Pepsi Hill. (laughs) I will also, whether you're like at a restaurant, they're like, is Coke okay? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. But it makes me fart. So no. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's your funeral. (laughs) How long am I going to stay here after I eat? That's your call. (laughs) So here's a description from Marketing Week about the new campaign. So following the iconic Holidays Are Coming campaign, Coca-Cola's new TV ad aims to remind customers that there are more that unites us than divides us. The ad shows Santa Claus preparing for Christmas as a narrator points out that many negative things could be said about Father Christmas, including he tries to... Sneak across our lands after gaining information about us. Who has ever put that spit on it? Other than somebody who's already wearing a tinfoil hat. That's what I want to know. It ends with Santa drinking a bottle of classic Coke that was left out for him in a home as the narrator notes that we should welcome him because if we focus on what divides us, we forget what we love about each other. Which is the giving of things. (laughs) That is basically what they're saying. (laughs) The new ad aims to invite and inspire people to notice the kindness in each of us, celebrate what we have in common, and leaving differences aside. Yes, it's a for-profit campaign, but let's face it, they're doing more than world leaders are on the issue right now. True. Also, it's ironic that we just basically alienated probably like 75% of our audience by like being very firm of like, Pepsi Coke divides us and you people are wrong. (laughs) We prefer the taste of Pepsi. (laughs) I appreciate people who prefer Coke, (laughs) but you're wrong. No. (laughs) But let's look at the much more fun thing of bad ads, because that is, of course, far more fun to talk about. And everyone loves a train wreck. We talk about you. You have a history background. Uh I have a marketing and advertising background. So this fascinates me. Like, poor advertising choices. Right. 
fascinate me. Or yeah. what good advertising choices. Like, I loved, I listened to that whole Beanie Baby episode. I told everybody else about the history of <laughs> 90s Beanie Baby episode because it fascinates me. Like, that's a marketing campaign and just a strategy, a product strategy campaign that was so well executed that oh, yeah. boggles the mind. Yeah. Because everybody bought in, right? Like, it's just... A lot of people. Yeah. I won't like, say everybody. No. <laughs> but people who bought in, bought in big. True. True, true, true. Like, yeah. they created this whole... Yeah, like, very interesting. Um, so, let's talk about uh, My Losers for 2019. Okay. Now, I, right now, I don't have set working satellite, and I'm canceling it. So, I haven't actually seen these, so I had to look up, like, right. ads for 2019. But Burberry... They have a Christmas ad campaign asks, what is love? But it's more like, what the fuck? Who are these people? Why are they such bad dancers? Why on earth is there a centaur? Centaur, like the half man. centaur? Centaur, yes, thank you. (laughs) What does any of this have to do with Christmas? (sighs) Well, if you're taking acid all year long, I guess Christmas is no different. Uh, Maybe Burberry's uh, chief creative officer's comments could clear it up. And he explains that I am connected to the idea of unity, togetherness, and challenging the perception of what is love today. For me, the real spirit of the season, one of my favorite times of the year, is when I can stop and reflect and reconnect with those who make me feel happy at home, no matter where I am in the world. Including Gary, my centaur lover. (laughs) (laughs) So no, didn't really clear anything up. The ad, which features different models dancing to elevator music, might make the fashion set, set feel happy and at home, but it certainly doesn't translate to the average customer. Well. I'm not feeling unity. Or the love. Burberry doesn't really translate to the average customer. Oh, God, no, because it's, like, stupidly expensive. Yep. But badly dancing to elevator music? Mm. I don't understand. They're British. You gotta give it Ugh. some leeway on that. Uh, talk about British. They love their Christmas ads. Because, like, I had to get to the third page to find, like, any sort of explanation of U.S. ads. <laughs> Amazon. Amazon brought back its singing boxes. Why does Amazon spend any money on advertising? I don't know. It owns us now. <laughs> um, as it sought to position itself at the beating heart of Christmas, which I assume since most of my stuff came from Amazon... Uh, take a tour through the local post office and I'm telling you, most of the village's Christmas came through Amazon this year. <laughs> uh, so there's no dose of magic or high concept twist to bring the ad to life. Instead, a relentlessly upbeat tale of the joys Amazon offers when it brings people together through the power of gifts. There are children on tiny pianos, love-struck commuters, businessmen, retired, reunited couples, of course, a cheerful Amazon worker who, when you read the working conditions at their warehouses... Fake. Fake. Santa Claus is more chance of being real than a happy Amazon worker. I know. (laughs) All singing along to Everybody Needs Someone to Love. Uh, Again, not a Christmas song, but okay. Admittedly, the ad does a very good job at brand awareness. There's an unmistakably... It's an unmistakably... It's an Amazon ad with the frickin' singing boxes. But lacks Christmas. And reality. Soul, <laughs> you know, those like really key things. <laughs> so let's move on to some vintage ads. Uh, so, because these are bonkers. <laughs> Chesterfield, which actually comes up a lot. So the cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Chesterfields for Christmas. Give the cigarette that satisfies. A cartons of Chesterfields with their mild, better taste will give your friends more pleasure than anything else you can buy for the money. 
I mean, I know my friends love getting curtains of smokes. The attractive gift curtain that says, Merry Christmas. Seriously, who is giving cigarettes at Christmas? Like, I don't even think Don Draper would do that. <laughs> Wait for this one. It's also Chesterfields. I'm sending Chesterfields to all my friends. That's the merriest Christmas any smoker can have. Chesterfield, mine... Mine, blah, blah, Chesterfield's mildless, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. That is signed by Ronald Reagan before oh, he was president. Boy. Oh, boy. Oh, that is a picture of Ronald Reagan with a smoke of, which is <laughs> dangling out the side of his mouth. Please send me that. So that's going up on socials. Um, but yeah, I know for Christmas, I like to give the gift of cancer. Uh, this one is also, so car, uh, guard against throat scratch. <laughs> Enjoy the smooth smoking of fine tobacco. Smoke Paul Mall. Right. Uh, the cigarette whose mildness you can measure. And it's a Santa Claus smoking. <laughs> Santa has lit up and looks real relaxed. <laughs> and it's outstanding that they're this mild. P.S. Let a carton of Paul Mall say Merry Christmas for you. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Like, there's no. There's s- actually a. The carton has Santa saying Merry Christmas as in smoke. There's no throat scratch because eventually they're going to have to remove your esophagus from the cancer you're going to get off of it. These old cigarettes without their filters. So this is a Budweiser, vintage Budweiser commercial, which has a Santa in front of a full spread of Christmas dinner with a non-plucked dead goose on the table. Ooh, that is dark. <laughs> Help yourself to good taste. That ad lacks good taste in some Hospitality. Uh, with every beat, but Christmas is a special occasion that requires Budweiser. Okay, it's- no occasion requires Budweiser. <laughs> uh, but there's also a ham on that table. So you have a cooked honey glazed ham next to a turkey. Oh, a turkey. Dead there's fowl. a turkey. And, then there's and a-, a turkey. And then there's just a dead... This is before the age of, like, bird flu, I'll tell you that much, because yeah. that is going to get you sick. Not just Oh, the there's beer. a lobster. Let's not forget the lobster. What is this place where this is happening? <laughs> and a giant bowl of fruit. Oh, my God. What? Like, this This isn't a beer ad. This is a, a weed ad, because this is, like, my snacking after I get high. I do this. Like, just munch a bunch of different little things. <laughs> and a do dead not bird. Together. And a dead bird. <laughs> Yes, I could not actually cut and paste all these. I just was like, I'm just going to use the article. So also, Chesterfields. This must have been during one of the World Wars. More than ever, it's Chesterfields, the milder, better tasting, cooler smoking cigarette. (laughs) Again, Chesterfield is out front with their bright and unusually attractive special Christmas cartons. Send them to the ones you're thinking of. Their cheerful appearance says, I wish you a Merry Christmas, and says it well. The only time it's appropriate to give anyone cigarettes is literally in a war zone, because the odds of surviving are dicey to start off with, so might as well give them something to relax with. Or, you know, if someone's in prison and they need some, like, stuff to trade. (laughs) So this is a lovely ad of Santa in... Santa has a helmet on, (laughs) like a World War I, and it's green, so... Oh, boy. With a bag full of Chesterfields that have... Airmen and Army? Do you think anyone at Chesterfield, like, looked at that ad and the art and just said, guys, poor taste. 
Like, anyone? (laughs) (laughs) If if, if there was one dude in the room that did, he got fired because they still published that goddamn ad. Like, that is just, that's, he's in a uniform, too. Santa's in a red uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in a, like, a uniform, like in some sort of... Oh, the war on Christmas takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> that's definitely going on the social oh, media. Oh, boy. <laughs> that is poor taste. Uh, so this one is Make It Merry, Make It Moju, which was a stocking line. Okay. So, pantyhose. Um... So every Santa from Portland to <laughs> makes this lady's Christmas merry with these stockings. Uh, so this lady is wearing Come Fuck Me heels to start off with and the stockings with the line up the back. And she's got her dress caught on a part of the Christmas tree while she's up a ladder. And uh, Santa's getting a full view of her beeve. <laughs> yes. So again, poor taste. <laughs> and this is geared at women. Yep. Or unless this is like, guys, buy your wives the the stockings that you want to see her in. Because what woman sees that and goes, yeah, I want to show some old mystical dude my snatch. <laughs> I like to say that like the stockings with the semen were were the only stockings at that time. They're not like now oh, okay. they're a niche stocking, right? Like oh, okay. that was like really prominent in the fifties. If you've it. ever seen, there is a. Um, are you being served episode where Mrs. Slocum can't afford uh, stockings. So, or Mrs. Brown's can't. So she's put powder on her legs and they've drawn with an eyebrow pencil, the seam up the back. That's fair. And she was just like, don't forget to get the seam straight. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I hadn't been paid yet. Um, and this is my last one and probably personal favorite. Uh, the best guess, best gift for peacetime festivities it's a daisy and it's a couple giving their child a shotgun or a rifle sorry isn't daisy the the bb gun maker oh yeah you're right it is a bb gun i mean still not great don't give your children firearms uh but a little less inappropriate than a full-on rifle just draw a circle around your favorite daisy bb gun and leave this page next to dad's place at the kitchen sometime between now and christmas if we know Pop, he'll be excited as you when o- you open that package on Christmas morning. <laughs> Before they had laws of you can't target children in your ads. <laughs> so um, there is a range of about eight BB guns of various mm-hmm. sizes on the page. So as a child, you would circle it. Right. Different barrel out. length. I mean, I'm assuming the first, the top one is if you want to be a sniper when you grow up. Yeah, and I guess And the bottom so. one being a shorter is if you want to rob banks when you grow up. Yep. You know, take it somebody's eye. Which the entirety of A Christmas Story is based upon. And this one I can't even describe, and we'll probably have to cut it out, yeah. but I just wanted to show Elise, because what the hell? This looks like it's rather new, too. Yes, because it's a very manscaped gentleman wearing boxer briefs, spying on, I hope, an elf and not a child? <laughs> Putting presents under the tree? I mean, that dude's ripped. <sighs> Seriously, like, a... Is that a child? Like, because CPS has to get called if that's a child and not an elf. And but it I looks like I think it's here. a Spanish I, ad. I hope it's an elf. Yes, I also. He hope looks it's a little old. <laughs> also, still- a little like stooped over. So that's yeah. hope. Uh, but not a Santa in sight in that nope, one. No, no, no. 
So that's it. So that is... Oh, and that's also this one, which... Make your Christmas gift a tomahawk! Oh, well, I, <laughs> Oh, don't. No weapons. Please. I mean, depending on how dicey your family is, this is either a bad idea or a really bad idea. <laughs> There's only degrees of bad. bad when you give away, like, lethal weapons. Yeah. So that is my uh, trip down. Bad ad. <laughs> Bad ad memory lane. Yeah, so vintage ads are the best and worst. Yes. They're on my list at some point to do based off of the whole Lysol started off as like a douche. I know. That boggles my mind. <laughs> so yeah, I thought you'd enjoy some of those more. And they were hard to like write. So I was like, I'm just going to keep the article open because right. like, there's so many of them in there. I was like, yep. Yeah. We're going to need the, the visuals yeah. for the social too. <laughs> Yeah, oh my god, they're just, I'm just like, what, there was one at the start that was a drunk, it was like, I think a, it didn't really say what the product was, I'm just guessing it's some sort of um, alcohol, but it's a drunk Santa on a roof with an angel. <laughs> Boggles the mind. <laughs> so like, was Santa drunk on Christmas Eve as he's running his errands? Or are you advocating that people get drunk and go up to their rooms? Like, what is the message? I don't know. I don't know. I don't like. No, we tend to leave um, milk and a rum and coke for Santa. (laughs) Santa knows what's up. If Santa's going to be up wrapping gifts late, Santa wants a little bit of a tipple. (laughs) Luckily, we haven't yet had an art like something that's that we've run into. Like, we're up till three a.m. trying to assemble. Right. But I'm sure that's coming. Exhaustion, frustration, alcohol, and the pressure of the holidays all yep. together at 3 a.m. Not a good time. <laughs> Anything like that, I think I, I plan on trying to get done earlier than Christmas yeah. Eve at 3 a.m. But we'll have spots to hide it, I guess. As the kids get older right now, it's all in the closet in the basement. Yeah. They're too little to yeah. even know to go looking for. Although for sure. right now, there's two toys that have been in the back of the the bed of the truck for three weeks. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's They're all slid spot. on the way in the back, like all the way to the front with the tunnel. And I had to move right. the tunnel cover and I'm too lazy for that. And I'm like, I don't, they're not going to, they don't hurt if they freeze. It's a scooter. Well, there you go. Yeah. So to get it out, you just like have to go down the road, slam on the brakes and then like take off real fast and like shoot about the back end of the truck. I'll just get like a hockey stick and like <laughs> the Canadian solution. Oh, <laughs> make Dan do it. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, step one, <laughs> the plan should really be get Dan to it. Not physics. <laughs> so, getting to today's story for me was a rabbit hole all of its own. It started on All That's Interesting's website, which, again, is my life science. Uh, I read an article about history's greatest coincidences. So the whole Lincoln and Kennedy mirror, Have you ever heard that one? Like they, no. there's like a bunch of dates that like line up and like they died in the same way. It's it's a whole thing. There's a, apparently a similar theory with Napoleon and Hitler, which I had never heard. Hmm. So, other than the whole trying to evade Russia and think it's a good idea in the winter thing, but hmm. uh, so I was looking at an article about that, but like there wasn't a lot of meat there. So that led to another article about history's greatest lies, which led to an article about P.T. Barnum and his famous circus, and that was a rabbit hole in and of Oh itself. yeah, that man is a horrible human being. Pretty much. So that's my story for today. It's all about P.T. Barnum and his horribleness. 
So maybe like me, all you really know about P.T. Barnum was the quote that there's a sucker born every minute that's attributed to him. Uh, without reason, apparently. No one can track down where that came from. And that he created, Other than it sounds like something you'd say. He would say it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that quote and the fact that he created one of the most successful circus acts of all time, probably all you know. There was apparently a Hugh Grant movie. That came, not Hugh Grant. Wolverine. What's his face? Uh, Hugh Jackman. There it is. Greatest showman. Up. Yes. Have not seen it yet. So, no interest in it. Nope. So, P.T. Barnum Museum has a website... And as you can imagine, they're pretty pro-PTB. <laughs> uh, here's what they have to say about him. Uh, he was the most remarkable entrepreneur and entertainer in the 19th century in America. He is an icon of American ingenuity and our patron saint of promotion. His story is a fascinating exploration of 19th century social, commercial, political, and industrial history. And his tale begins long before his famous circus was created in 1872. He was an entrepreneur, museum propertyer, Business leader, politician, urban developer, community benefactor, philanthropist, temperance leader, emancipationist, lecturer, and author. Barnum was committed to the intellectual and cultural development of society and was a voice for the pursuit of freedom and choice. So when your mission statement is to be the P.T. Barnum Museum, yeah, you're going to have a rose-colored tint of him. Like, I, I don't doubt that he is not a really interesting and good case study on marketing, oh, yeah. creating, like, a product, creating, like, a, a, like demand. Buzz, yeah. Like, that, yes. But it's the product he was selling <laughs> where we have issues. Oh, and I'm going to yes. talk about some of them. <laughs> so the circus that he's most well known for uh, was actually started as a retirement project. Uh, he was in his 60s when he started the circus. So the entirety of his dirtbag career is pretty long. And uh, it's some of the earlier stages that are more problematic and terrifying. Uh, he made a name for himself by managing musical acts, flower shows, beauty contests, dog shows, poultry contests in the earlier days. Uh, but most popular for his earlier acts was baby contests such as the fattest baby or the handsomest twins. So we have very early marketing, uh, buzzing kind of uh, history with him where he's running, bring your fattest child down and win a prize. I would have won that prize. I was <laughs> such a fat six-month-old baby. I was born. One of my eyes wouldn't even open all the way because I was so fat. <laughs> I was born small. And, I was then only like, and then, like, I was something like 20, almost 30 pounds by the time I was six months old. Like, I was just this, like... Michelin, I, I was just like this round football. Jeez, Charmaine, what were you feeding the girl? <laughs> well, my mom joked that, like, at one point, she just started like strolling me everywhere because I was too big to carry. <laughs> I was so fat. Uh, so we'll give Andy her blue ribbon for uh, fattest baby. Uh, but back to P.T. Barnum. Uh, throughout all of his efforts, he was a master self marketer and event marketer. And by the 1850s, he was also a leader in the temperance movement and went on a lecture circuit to rail against drinking. <laughs> <sighs> yes, just what you want. Some asshole peddling racist ideas and telling you not to drink. <laughs> because you had to be drunk to enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, during the Civil War, P.T. Barnum was an outspoken supporter of the Union, and his museum, which I'll talk more about in a bit, was burnt to the ground by Confederate supporters on July 13, 1865. Uh, he tried to open a second museum, but it was burnt down in 68, uh, and the second loss was too much financially, and that's when P.T. Barnum hit the road. So, the circus, retirement, I can't afford to put another building up. So I'm just gonna take my show on the road. But the museum is really like, what we think of P.T. Barnum as a terrible person really started his museum in New York. Uh, when you look at his uh, history, it's very much like the man. It has some weird, really questionable aspects, but some really good stuff too. So Barnum was born in Bethel, Connecticut on July 5th, 1810. He was on the hustle starting early in life. Uh, his father died when he was 15, and so supporting his mother and five siblings became his responsibility. And to do that, he ran a general store, a book auction trade, and he engaged in real estate, real estate speculation and a statewide lottery. So in 1829, he started a weekly newspaper that roasted local religious figures and led to several libel lawsuits, uh, one of which landed him in the clink for a couple of months. And then he started his career in entertainment in the most disgusting of ways in 1835. And here's where things start heading downhill. Uh, keeping in mind, he was 25 years old when he did this. So that year, 1835, he bought a woman named Joyce Heath. Joyce was completely paralyzed and a former slave. She was being displayed around Pennsylvania and New York with the story that she had been George Washington's former nurse and was currently 161 years old. Even though slavery had been outlawed in the North by this time, P.T. Barnum found himself a nifty little loophole that allowed him to lease her from her previous owners. During her time with P.T. Barnum, he worked Joyce for 10 to 12 hours a day and extracted some of her teeth to make her look older. Yeah. Aw, Jesus. Yeah. So he only had, air quote, custody of her uh, for a year, and then she died. And when she died, Barnum hosted a live autopsy of her body in New York that he charged 50 cents a person to see. Oh, sweet Jesus. 1,500 people attended. Uh, well, yeah, because humanity's awful. <laughs> yeah. So a very early indication of the type of guy that we're dealing with. He saw the marketing opportunity. He jumped on it because this wasn't his idea. This was like somebody else's show, but he grabbed it and he made it huge. And he only had a year and still drew in 1,500 people at the end of the year. Uh, by the way, several websites felt the need to point this out during the autopsy. It found, they discovered she wasn't 161 years old. No shit. <laughs> I'm like, why does every website feel the need to tell us this? <laughs> we get it. <laughs> Uh, within five years of the Joyce Heath incident, Barnum was operating Barnum's American Museum, which was basically a huge curiosity cabinet. And curiosity cabinets started in this era when people in their homes would collect weird-looking artifacts from around the world uh, to display and show off as, like, not only can I afford these, but, like, I'm interested in these weird little yeah. nuggets of humanity. Uh, think Ripley's Believe It or Not is, a, is in that curio cabinet style. Uh, so Barnum bought a building and exhibits from John Scudder in New York and opened up this Barnum's American Museum. It was located on Broadway and it had one of those huge light pillars out front for nighttime marketing attention grabbing. And then during the day, um, had a bunch of gold and red flags out front. And considering the building was five stories high, it was really hard to miss. 
Yeah, that would have been a big building back in the day. Yeah. In it, Barnum put on a changing series of live acts and static displays that included stuffed animals, including albinos, giants, little people, jugglers, magicians, exotic women, detailed models of cities and famous battles, and menagerie of animals. Uh, As the whole Joyce Heath thing showed, Barnum wasn't above a little scamming to make a buck, even in the early stage of his career, and he called these frauds humbugs and felt that there was no harm in them if they entertained people. If his extraordinary claims got them in the door to be entertained by other legitimate acts or displays, then so be it. It was fine to defraud your customers. The mental gymnastics that you have to go through to get from point A to B on that one? Impressive. (laughs) (sighs) I can see why they thought he sat a sucker board every minute. Yep. He once wrote the term humbug consists in putting on, quote, consists in putting on glittering appearances, outside show, novel expedients by which to suddenly arrest public attention and attract the public eye and ear. I mean, he wasn't wrong because in 1842, he put on display the Fiji mermaid in his museum. Uh, It was basically a monkey's body sewed to a fishtail. But he promoted it as a mermaid and people flocked to see it. Oh, this is also before TV. Yes. Yes, this is true. Like, people didn't know, like, the great ape was, like, a real thing. (laughs) Like, the gorilla was, like, mystical to them. (laughs) They didn't travel very far. People really didn't have a whole lot of, like... And so that's why these curiosity cabinet museums were so popular, because you could learn a lot about the world, but, like, a lot of it wasn't true. Yes. (laughs) So in 1842, the Fiji mermaid goes on display, but in the same year, General Tom Thumb was premiered at the museum. Uh, This was an individual who was billed as the, quote, smallest person that ever walked alone. He was said to be 11 years old, but was really, they figure, about four years old. By five, he was drinking wine, and by seven, he was smoking cigarettes as part of his act. Barnham took him on tour to Europe, where Tom met Queen Victoria, who loved him, and it became a huge publicity boon for the showman. Um, oh, Queen Victoria. <laughs> right. We'll get back to that the consequences of that visit, because there are many. Uh, so all told, Barnum estimated that he sold 20 million tickets to people looking to see General Tom Thumb over the years, though it appears from what I read that there was a couple of people who played that role. So he just kept recycling toddlers. <laughs> Claiming they were human, adult people. <laughs> Those poor toddlers. <laughs> Drinking and smoking by seven. Come on. Like, as a mother of a four year old, I'm horrified. Yeah, put her on display as like a general and call it a day. <laughs> There's her college fund right there. <laughs> so, no, that's her therapy fund. Yeah, very, yeah she's going to need it. Um, in 1860, Barnum introduced. Monkey Man William Henry Johnson to his museum goers, who was a microphallic little person who was black, uh, and he claimed that he spoke this mysterious language. Uh, It was a bunch of nonsense that Barnum made up, but this was a mysterious language that Johnson spoke. I'm not going to pretend that this was the start of a lot of negative stereotypes slash racism about black Americans in this age, but it certainly didn't help perpetuated a lot of them. Here's how Johnson was advertised, quote, and know that I feel icky saying this out loud. 
a creature found in the wilds of Africa, supposed to be a mix of the wild native African and the orangutan, a kind of monkey man. For want of a positive name, the creature was called, what is it? That's the name that they gave the act rather than like his actual name, which was William Henry Johnson. They called him, what is it? So ew. <laughs> so he was just like a little person. Yeah. A black little person who spoke this made-up language that Barnum made. And do. Yes. Okay. Uh, I guess at some point, what is it was too long of a name, so Barnum rebranded him as Zip the Pinhead. Oh, dear Jesus, we didn't think it could get worse. Yeah, oh, there it does. better. <laughs> uh, Barnum claimed Johnson was the missing link between ape and man. Oh, God. It was... Uh, Part of his freak show, not my word, uh, the Johnson act was to stand in a cage and rattle the bars slash screech at people who passed. Yeah. Uh, So not only was there a physical um, aspect to his condition, but there's also a mental aspect to his condition, which I think is even worse. Because if you're a little person and you want to do this to make money, all for it. Consenting? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as anyone with like a mental disability starts being put in these positions, there I have a serious problem. Yeah. And that's where I have the serious problem here. So hoaxes and scams are one thing, but P.T. Barnum was also wildly exploitative of some of his performers in his act. Um, For example, building on the success of General Tom Thumb, Barnum went in search of more proportionate dwarfs, his term, for his show. So he was looking for little people with the same proportion as the average adults. Lavinia and Minnie Warren fit that bill. They joined the traveling show and Lavinia fell in love and subsequently married the person who was playing Tom Thumb at the time. And Minnie married another performer in the show known as Commodore Nutt. Two T's, so it's not dirty, I guess. (laughs) Um, (coughs) P.T. Barnum made a huge spectacle out of both weddings. So not only was he making a buck off the day to day, he also then ramped it up. And made an event out of them getting married. Like a Kardashian. Yes. Kim. Ka- yes. Thank you. Chris is the modern day P.T. Barnum. Well, I don't think she's as horrible. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen those shows, but it would fit. <laughs> Other examples of exploitative acts. Uh, there is Myrtle Corbin, the four-legged woman. She joined the traveling, again, not my word, freak show at the age of 13. Uh, she was born with two fully formed lower bodies from the belly button down, uh, but she only had one torso, one head, and one set of arms. So it was a twin situation. Damn. While on tour, she earned $450 per week, which is an equivalent to $11,000 a week now. So get a girl. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> She's only 13 at the time. Yes. Yes. So I assume her parents probably sold her. There said it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, She married at 19, and when she got pregnant, her case was written up for the medical journals because she had uh, two sets of internal and external sex organs, uh, and she went on to have five children. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, good for Myrtle. Yeah. You get it, Myrtle. Yeah. I mean, she's got a lot of money laid up to feed those five kids, so. But also, like... Damn, girl, you got pregnant twice. I can hardly get pregnant once. <laughs> five times. I'm jealous. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yes, five, five, five times. To be fair, she had two that is true. <laughs> ways of doing so. What? Husband could, like, switch it up to whatever he was feeling that day. 
And they were and saying you made it dirty for number sixty nine. No, yes, okay, fair. Uh, <laughs> they were saying some of the medical journals, um, not all the children were born out of the same uh, lower half. So oh. he was feeling a little adventurous some days. Good for him. Uh, people with anatomical differences were huge for P.D. Barnum. Uh, when he was 18, a man calling himself Prince Randolin, or sorry, Randian, moved from his home country of Guyana to New York to perform in P.T. Barnum's shows. Randian had Tetra Amelia syndrome, so he was born without legs or arms, and he was known as the living torso. He was best known for rolling and lighting cigarettes with his mouth. Uh, he had a great personality by all accounts, with a great sense of humor, and was married with five kids when he died at the age of 63. So again, yeah. Again, consenting, consenting. adult, chose to make what he could out of the world. Well, and I mean, especially at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of options for people. Like, this was... What was a social safety net in Guyana for him? Like... What was a social safety net in, in the New US? York? Yeah, exactly. So there was none. Uh... So here's a term I'm sure most people have heard at some point somewhere, and that's the wild men of Borneo. And that comes from the yeah. P.T. Barnum. Oh, okay. I thought museum. it was more like a National Geographic thing. This is the danger of the P.T. Barnum Curiosity Museum. Like, yeah, he presented it as real factual and yeah. um, historical. What's the word? Sociological. <sighs> Anthropology? There it is. Anthropological exhibits. They weren't. Uh, so the wild men of Borneo... This term was given to an act in P.T. Barnum's, not my word, freak show. Uh, in fact, the wild men were brothers Hiram and Barney Davis, who were mentally disabled, both weighed 45 pounds, but could lift up to 300 pounds each. While attached to P.T. Barnum's show, they earned about $200,000, making them millionaires by today's standards. Uh, they lived into their 90s and were able to afford some primo palliative care, but even their obituaries perpetuated the myth that they were the wild men from Borneo. And they died without being fully acknowledged for the, like, Americans that they were. Here's another abusing the mentally ill. Do not like. So, as you said, I've not seen the movie The Greatest Showman, but I understand it beefs up the P.T. Barnum, Jenny Lynn story to epic proportions. So let's take a look at what really happened between the two of them. Uh, Jenny Lind was born out of wedlock and lived a rough childhood until she was admitted to the Royal Theatre in Stockholm for voice lessons when she was nine. She became the darling of the opera scene there before she was 13 and was even known as the Swedish Nightingale. While Barnum was in Europe touring General Tom Thumb, remember I said we'd come back to that, he heard all about Lind and how popular he, uh, she was, so he sought her out. Uh, he struck a deal with her that was just jaw-dropping even by today's standards, so he agreed to pay her $1,000 per performance for 150 performances in America. $1,000 a night. That 1860s currency. That's insane. Yeah. All expenses were to be paid by P.T. Barnum, and she could pick her own musical assistants. She agreed, but smart girl that she was, wanted the money up front. <laughs> uh, P.T., sold and mortgaged everything he owned to be able to meet her terms, and uh, while it was a huge risk, because she wasn't known in North America, he did manage to get all the money together, uh, sold, mortgaged everything that he possibly could, and put the money in a bank account for her up front. In the six months between signing the contract with him and her first performance, P.T. Barnum went full P.T. Barnum in the marketing front. There were constant newspaper stories about her, they ran song contests, they auctioned off tickets, 
and it worked, because when Jenny arrived in New York City on September 1st, 1850, she was greeted by about 30,000 people on the docks. Wow. Yep. The New York Tribune's review of her first show in New York read, quote, Jenny Lynn's first concert is over and all doubts are at an end. She is the greatest singer we have ever heard. So this was the perfect storm for Barnum. Like, yeah. he threw his marketing effort at it, worked out great, and he had a real product. Yeah. Like, this wasn't Actual some, like... Talent. Yeah. This wasn't some, like, monkey sewed to a fish. Like, this was a real deal. Yeah. <laughs> talent. Over the nine months that she toured with P.T. Barnum, Jenny's act brought in an estimated $21 million in today's value in nine months. At that point, Lind exercised her right to stop touring with P.T., she wasn't exactly comfortable with the perpetual motion that he was always in, and his brand of selling was really off-putting. So she used a lot of the money for charitable purposes back home, and what I read about her was that she was very, like, civic-minded, and she wasn't a fan of the constant, like, sell, 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 take advantage of people, that yeah. greasy, gross this. quality that he had. Yeah. She inspired a true fan mania with people looking to buy all sorts of Lynn-branded merchandise, such as women's hats, opera glasses, paper dolls, sheet music, and chewing tobacco. So here's another avenue that P.T. Barnum was able to exploit the shit out of. While the Hugh Jackman movie may suggest a relationship requited or not between the two of them, it wasn't at all true. Jenny Lind was renowned for her focus on her career and not men, even though both Frederick Chopin and Hans Christian Andersen tried to woo her at one point in her life. Also, she would have been like, what, a third of... Well, no. How old would have P.T. Barnum been at the time? Uh, he was in his 50s or so. And she was... There was still like a 20-year difference. Yeah. Between them. When is that ever? That is true. Andy, you've not heard the entirety of the story. It gets... We touch on this okay. issue a little later. Um, so Lynn was always known for, like, turning down men, and Barnum seemed to have been largely devoted to his wife and was too busy running his huge empire to want to add any complications to it. So the idea that they were romantically involved, uh, Hollywoodified. In the end, the pair went their separate ways without any sort of acrimony. However, Barnum is credited with popularizing opera in North America uh, because of bringing Lind over, uh, though I would argue that honor goes to Bugs Bunny. That's just me. So by 1868, Barnum was the owner of a second burnt museum. Like I said, he rebuilt after a Confederate burned down the first one, but couldn't really afford to rebuild a third time. And so he was looking for a way to continue his business without actually having to run the risk of operating a building. And there was definitely a market for it, because in all the years that he had operated his museum, uh, Barnum estimated that he welcomed 82 million visitors with the entrance price of at least a quarter in all that time. Uh, some of those visitors included Charles Dickens and Edward VII while he was Prince of Wales. Famous dude. Uh, so, what is a man to do? Because he just cannot stop. This retirement was not on this man's radar. Cue the P.T. Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum, Menagerie, Caravan, and Hippodrome. This attraction was debuted in Delvin, Wisconsin, of all places, in 1870. <laughs> the main draws were the Menagerie of Animals and the Museum of, again, not my word, freaks. In 1881, the circus merged with another show, and that's where it picked up its distinctive name of Barnum and Bailey's. This was the first circus to have three rings. And after his death, the circus was sold to the Ringling Brothers in 1907 for what amounts today to $10.45 million. Oh, wow. 1907. 
Uh, and then they ran... So the Ringling Brothers ran their own show and the Barnum and Bailey's Circuses separately until 1919 when they were merged to form the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, which is what we still have. Actually, although they... only ended a couple years ago. Yeah, they folded a couple years ago. Pat Pita finally got their way on that one. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah. Jesus. Of course, no one could speak ill of the dead. So a lot of questionable things that P.G. Barnum did in his career were overlooked when he died. Uh, close friends uh, eulogized him as being good-natured, thoughtful, and kind, as well as parsimonious and egotistical. That whole don't-drink tour that he did didn't make a lot of friends. Critics of him during his life suddenly focused on his good works when he died. So he was known for fighting union discriminations against Black Americans. Good. However, I weigh that against the fact that he dropped one of his daughters from his will after she committed adultery. And after his wife of 44 years died, he married a 24-year-old, who was also the daughter of a friend. So you, you probably saw this girl grow up. And then married her at 24 when he was past 60. Ew. Yeah. Uh, he asked a New York newspaper to print his obituary before he died so he could read it, which they did, just to tell you what kind of person this guy was. <laughs> Uh, Bridgeport, where he had lived and been mayor for a time, raised a statue in his honor, and I believe it is still there. Uh, speaking of Bridgeport, in 13, 1936, uh, which was the city's centennial, they issued a commemorative coin with Barnum's profile on it. So they really leaned into the small town hero makes big theme of it all. Uh, Barnum's character has drawn a lot of attention over the years. He's been depicted in multiple movies, made-for-TV movies and TV shows, including Jules Verne's Rocket to the Moon of 1967, uh, Gangs of New York in 2002. That movie was like four hours long. I can't remember. I can barely remember that movie. Yeah, it was so long. (laughs) And most recently, The Greatest Showman in 2017. Um... According to a bunch of different academics that I read, this he's so perpetually po- popular because he's the embodiment of the American dream trademark. Using his wits and gumption, he went from nothing to everything. So Benjamin Reese of Emory University says of him, quote, The story of his life that we choose to tell is in part the story that we choose to tell about American culture. We can choose to erase things or dance around touchy subjects and present a kind of feel-good story, or we can use it as an opportunity to look at very complex and troubling histories that our culture has been grappling with for centuries. He goes on to say, he had these new ways of making racism seem fun and for people to engage in activities that degraded a racially subjected person in ways that were intimate and funny and surprising and novel. That's part of his legacy, and that's part of what he left us, just as he also left us with some really great jokes and circus acts and the kind of charming, wise-cracking America's uncle reputation. This is equally a part of his legacy. I personally can't overlook the fun-timey racism. That's just me. Or the, you know, taking advantage of people with mental illnesses. However, those people probably lived much better lives because of the money that they made with him. Yes. So there's like sort of like yes he took advantage of them but then they would not have lived till she'd be 90 because there no. was no social safety net. Yeah. There was no if they didn't have that income they would not have been able to yeah. live. Probably would have starved to death much exactly. much earlier like after their parents died. Type yeah thing. exactly. So like it is hard because you're like well that was very much taking advantage of them and he did but it's still afforded those people 
a lot better of lives than they would have ever had otherwise. Because yes. again, it's it wasn't it wasn't the same as it is now. Yes. Still makes me feel icky though. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so referring to anybody like the terms mm. that they use just ugh. yeah. Yeah, the term freak show was peppered liberally through everything I was reading. I was like, ooh, I don't like that word. <laughs> I know. So, uh, yeah, that's my story for this week. Woohoo! That's our show for this week. That is. So, if you would like more information, if you'd like to see the show notes for the episode, head over to our website, which is www.rabbitholespodcast.com. While you're there, check out the merch tab, which takes you to our Redbubble store, or the support tab that takes you to our Patreon store. If you uh, want to see what we're doing on social media this week, you can find us on Facebook at Rabbit Holes Podcast page, on Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast, on Twitter at Rabbit Holes Pod. Uh, also, you can send us, uh, you can rate us, give us a review, recommend us to your friends. Um, you can also send us an email if there's any rabbit holes that you've fallen down or you would like to tell us any funny stories. If you have a funny ad that you've seen that was bad. Uh, or if there's a Christmas toy craze that you got involved with. Apparently my aunt stood in, stood outside in lineup for two hours in New York to get the Cabbage Patch Kids. You got a correction, did you? Yeah, my mom <laughs> actually told me the rest of the story. She thought it was hilarious, like the whole me telling those stories about like the Cabbage Patch Kids and my yeah. sister and stuff. Uh, so thanks, mom, for listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what else do I usually say? I think that's about it. Yeah. Oh, rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com is our email address. Yes. Um, and I think that's about all for me. Yeah. Uh, so there's only one last thing to do today, and that's to remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.